Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show doing something unique yet again. Starting our recording here at 7.38 a.m. on a Thursday morning. Got a call in less than an hour with new Aero McLaren SP racing overlord. God of competition. Not totally sure uh, how to phrase his role, but old pal Gavin Ward. So we're going to do a little show here and talk about as much as we can in the less than an hour I have for us to knock this out. And I think that's actually going to be something I'm going to try more of. So yeah, famous last words. I always fail at that, but let's see if I can stop failing at that. Meaning to kick off the podcast a couple days ago and yeah, more new news coming down the pipeline seemingly every day. Another IndyCar, Indy Lights, just had Christian Rasmussen confirmed moving from Andretti Autosport to HMD for next season. To me, he becomes the immediate Indy Lights uh, title, top title contender. Um, what else do we have? we got a announcement coming out here in a couple hours from the AJ Foyt Racing Team. I don't know if it will shock everybody. It shouldn't. If you read some of what I wrote last week on racer regarding a couple of their drivers and whatnot, but uh, had that buttoned up yesterday, team said that they were going to push this out today and try and do uh, a big push with it. So uh, we're sitting on that and trying to be uh, friendly in that regard, but some good stuff coming there. What else can I tell you here? Uh, Worked with Racers Formula One reporter Chris Medland for a story that went up on Wednesday about Kyle Busch, who was on their radar for the Indy 500 in a fourth entry, about that falling through. One item in that piece, Chris Medland wrote the majority of it. I wrote a lot of the bottom part of it. Um, one piece in there that I wasn't fully clued in on, and that being Tony Kanaan mentioned as an option. Um, I think he was described as being the, the leading candidate. And yeah, after communicating with young Mr. Kanaan yesterday while he's in Hawaii preparing for doing another Ironman marathon, I'll just say that I look forward to uh, having some free time with him when he gets back next week to talk about things because yeah, um, trying to get some, some facts aligned, which is kind of normal part of the job. So, uh, got that brewing a little bit, have Colton Herta, who has signed an extension with Andretti Autosport. You know, the team is, is waiting to put out some form of official press release. When I rang them prior to, uh, submitting the story, they weren't super inclined to say a whole bunch, which is totally fine. It actually didn't say enough for me to warrant including it in the story, but yeah, happy to hear that things are, are staying in the, uh, the direction that they've been in with Colton and the team. Uh, what else can I think of here? Got a silly season piece in the works. I don't know what number it is. Is it number seven, number eight, number nine? I don't know. I've lost track. Just that's the year it's been y'all. Uh, only have three seats left. One of them being a uh, one that's drawn a lot of interest this week, and it might have even been late last week. I don't remember when it first popped up, but Kimi Raikkonen, Chip Ganassi Racing. Yeah, um, 
I don't want to burst bubbles and you know I never want to say 100% no because I'm not the person in charge there um and with as crazy as the season's been like anything could happen even the ones that make zero sense I'll just say that on the topic of Kimmy and Ganassi this one makes zero sense to me would love to see it happen but makes zero sense to me. Why is that? Well, a couple of things stand out that are very significant limitations. First of all, I've had this confirmed, told to me multiple times, uh, twice this week as well. Team is not looking for a rideshare situation in that fourth entry. And I'll call it the fourth entry instead of the number 48 Honda because... I don't believe it's going to have the number 48 on it. It They could, but I think it would go to a different number next year. Um, they aren't looking for someone to do road and street courses, which is the story that's been circulating and story that's been posted by a couple of outlets regarding Kimmy. Kimmy would do road and streets. Jimmy would do the ovals, as I understand it. There are no plans for Jimmy to be back in that fourth entry. Could that change? Possibly, but I don't believe so. If Jimmy returns to Chip Ganassi Racing, I am confident he would be driving a car that has the number 48 on it, but is not that full-time entry that we have seen this past season with that crew, etc., etc. If he were to return... Everything I understand would be a fifth entry for the Indy 500 to do a NASCAR double, which I know he's mentioned a, a desire to possibly do that. But two key things here. The team is not looking to split up the seat for the season with two drivers, three drivers, you name it. One is what they're looking for and going after. Second thing, Jimmy has no expressed no interest, no anything in doing the ovals in the car. So first item, keep that in mind. Second item, the guy that's been positioned as the person to take the other races when Kimmy's not in the car, it's been nothing expressed about that happening. Plus that would conflict with the team's first priority of one driver full season. So another item here, which really, 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 would not make sense to involve Kimi Raikkonen. I don't know the exact number of sponsorship dollars brought by Jimmy last year, year before, but the rumors that I've heard, and I think many have heard because I've had them echoed back to me with folks saying, Hey, have you heard how much been in the eight to 10 million range? I've heard 10 more than anything. A lot of other teams, Five million used to be the bottom. That seems to be creeping up to minimum of six, but six to eight, the sweet spot that I hear per season uh, for entries last year, knowing that this would have been definitely above that upper echelon in terms of funding. Team's not looking to go backwards. No team that has gotten a high amount for a seat is looking to then accept less. Uh, from the next driver to step into the car. So keep in mind, team's looking for a single driver for the car for the year, 
team needs somewhere in the eight to ten million dollars to be brought by that driver family money sponsorship combination of both that's not Kimi Raikkonen right <laughs> Kimi is not a guy bringing money to pay for anything much less coming to America to air quote to do air quote road and street courses uh, he's not desperate to drive race cars He's the guy being called and offered a lot of money to drive race cars. I've had it suggested, well, maybe he found a sponsor. Really? <laughs> is, is Kimmy a, a sponsor-finding guy, or is he a DGAF guy? Um, there's no scenario that I can find that makes any sense here. In talking about the need for the car to be fully paid in a big number for the full season by one driver... If this were Kimmy, by chance, he would also want to take a big number for a salary as well, right? So we're talking what? The need for 15, 20 million? Because I'm, again, I'm guaranteed he's not driving for a million bucks uh, for, let's just say, a full season, for example. Let's say the articles out there got it wrong and he's actually meant to do the full season. Okay. So need to put up about $10 million to operate the car, and then he's going to want, what, minimum five, probably more like minimum 10 to drive? We're now talking about the most expensive IndyCar entry, individual entry in 25 years for a guy who's now in his 40s, retired full-time from F1, has expressed within the last couple of months, no interest in doing IndyCar. And just for the, the topper to close, this isn't like bachelor Kimmy living his best life, partying nonstop, no tethers, no ties, no responsibilities. We're talking about Kimmy Raikkonen, the you just drove an F1 for 20 years, dad, husband, person with a full family and life in Europe, um, that's not the guy, right? That's not the guy doing full-time IndyCar, if you ask me. So while I love it, I love the idea. Kimmy and IndyCar, it'd be the best thing, truly. Uh, I'd be more excited about that than any other aspect because the guy is just phenomenal. We all know to leave him alone because he knows what to do. But does any of that make real sense, practical sense? Um, I can't find the avenue where it does. I'd love to say that, yep, this makes sense. Uh, somebody has decided they want Kimmy to be an IndyCar, and they've said, hey, we're going to pay the $10 million for you to be in the seat, and then we're going to give you 5 to 10 to drive it and you despite being again retired from f1 and kind of picking and choosing what you want to do you can't really do the fly back and forth constantly thing so for 17 races you know you're going to need to commit to probably move your family over here and live in america to do this um that just doesn't sound like the the choice someone in Kimmy's position would make 
Uh, and boy, it sure would be weird for someone to decide to throw out tons of money for Kimmy randomly to start an IndyCar career in his early 40s. Um, yeah, love the idea. Love it. Can't find the way that it makes sense. Have heard, though, that Ganassi could be testing someone with F1 pedigree. Um, has a name that, last name that rhymes with, a little bit rhymes with, uh, one of my favorite um, female rappers from the late 80s and early 90s. Um, we'll see where this goes. I don't like to poke holes. And again, I could be proven totally wrong. The guy could be announced tomorrow to be uh, testing for Ganassi and in line for a seat. But at least if I walk down the path of what makes logical sense uh, compared to illogical sense, uh, I can't find the pathway into this being real. Um, let's get going with your questiones here and see how far we can get before I need to hit the old stop button. Uh, Zach Dean, you say, hey, with Connor Daly and Marco Andretti racing at the Charlotte Roval this weekend, what are your thoughts on the exposure for IndyCar? You say, hashtag me personally, motorsports is a family across all series. So it's great to have IndyCar drivers to root for. We got Sage Karam in there as well. Good old Cage Serum. So yeah, I think we got three who are most heavily identified with IndyCar. I think it'll be interesting for sure. Um... As we've seen NASCAR do for a little while now, not exactly lots of practice to go and master the track and give all accounts of one's talent for road racing and whatnot. That's the only part where, to me, it's almost no difference, Zach, than saying, hey, we're going to take Chase Austin and Ty Dillon. And we're going to chuck you on to mid-Ohio in IndyCars. And kind of sort of going to go straight into qualifying and then go race. You go, okay, um, we know that those two, and I just randomly picked two NASCAR drivers that came to mind. Um, we know that they possess talent for sure. But, yeah, um, I don't know if they're being given the opportunity to really uh, prepare as much as you would want them to do to then give the best reflection of their capabilities and NASCAR's capabilities in that environment. So I will be watching absolutely and hoping that cool and fun stuff happens. But yeah, this new, uh, not a lot of track time before things get real scenario. That's just going to be the thing to fight that will probably conspire against uh, really great outcomes. Unfortunately, uh, Kevin Perez Federico, MP. The main reason for chassis delay is due to too huge of a cost for the teams to bear. And how is half the paddock able to afford building new F1 level technology centers for their shops? Um, you say it's just a bit embarrassing that the top level series can't afford to update the new chassis in a reasonable time. Uh, you mention other series that do it, yet IndyCar cries poverty. Um, well, it, it's not a terrible take kev but i would say you're talking about very very different scenarios here one involves business growth right receiving loans from banks 
uh, or large new private investors to grow the company. Uh, that is one thing that is very different than the company having money as well to invest lots of money on big new items to put within that building. So I hear what you're saying, but keep in mind half or more of the teams that compete in IndyCar rely on sponsorship or drivers who bring funding in order to compete each year. And there's a limit of what the market will bear right now for an annual budget. And so that's why we're talking about two different worlds. Uh, Hey, Andretti Autosports building something new and giant. They're not paying for it. Uh, They're granted. They are paying for it, but this isn't Michael reaching into his pocket. There are others who are paying for that as part of a business expansion. Uh, the McLaren, Aero McLaren SP team doing similar. Shank's done similar. Ray Hall's done similar. But you also have to keep in mind that I think Aero McLaren SP is the only one I can think of right now that is strictly, at least here, an IndyCar team. We do know that their parent company, uh, McLaren Racing, have gobs of money so this is a european entity investing into this they are one of the handful of teams that have said they're all for a new chassis but if you think about andretti autosport they run vehicles in about 19 different championships so this isn't a quote indycar team building a giant new shop we think about meyer shank racing they obviously compete in two different series. So this isn't an IndyCar team expanding. BMW through the Ray Hall Artem and Lanigan team, huge, huge investment there. Uh, not just an IndyCar team. So I get what you're saying, but it doesn't really align. So when it comes to needing to go racing in IndyCar and the budgets to do that, knowing that in 2024, We expect the costs for engine leases are going to rise and rise decently. Um, You then also have to keep in mind that, yes, this is going to become more costly to compete, and we've also having to spend a decent amount of money on new componentry to go with those 2024 engines on the chassis side. So there is a lot of money being invested that as we will hear from teams as we get closer to 2024, it's going to take quite a stretch by more than a few to get to that first race in 2024 with everything they need, cars fully outfitted and paid for. And what is the market going to look like in terms of drivers and who's on the grid, who can afford to be here? Uh, that's something that I will be watching very seriously. But yeah, I would not look at the building of shops and directly compare that to, well, then why can't you just spend money on cars? Uh, two totally different business models. Uh, Chris Kowalik, how are you, brother? I'm take a sip of coffee here. Over the last couple of weeks, it appears there's been a tightening of the belts at Penske Entertainment. As you've reported on, Penske's main source of income is car dealerships and trucking, and both have been making good money uh, off the supply chain issues with higher prices. Doesn't make sense that money for them has dried up all of a sudden. 
any reasoning you can think of. Well, main reason I would say Chris is Roger Penske does not look at his ownership of the IndyCar series or the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to a lesser degree as a charity to siphon profits from his bigger companies to bankroll uh, the racing series and the track that he loves. What he does is he looks at his ownership of the IndyCar series and IMS as businesses just like the others. And it slash they are expected to generate profits to then be reinvested into the series. Um, That's the main angle I would look at. So, yeah, uh, I would say this is where a bit of a a revealing of things has come forth, right? Uh, Learned as well, talking about, say, the the missing $720,000 for Linus Lundqvist uh, with an advancement prize that the series has also, IndyCar series, under Penske Entertainment, has also taken away the test drive. Uh, paying for test drives one day, I believe, each in an Indy car for, I think, the top three finishers in Indy Lights. Uh, I'm told that that's gone away as well. So, yeah. And then there are, again, just some other things that, you know, budgets for some areas that seem like they would really help IndyCar to grow. Don't hear of, of big expenditures going on there. So, yeah. I'm not totally sure how to look at this. Uh, I do need to catch up with Roger to get a little bit of a a better insight, Chris, on this. But it does feel like, yes, uh, there was obviously a great opportunity to buy everything. Thankful that uh, that was done. But as we have gotten now a couple years into things, right when it seems like we could really make significant leaps forward, does seem like holding that wallet tighter than ever is the thing that uh, we're seeing evidence of. And is it just because they're seeing that, hey, the profits aren't what they we thought they were going to be? Are we running at a loss? Uh, I don't know these the answers to those things, but I know that the behaviors we see suggest that they're on really slim margins and are acting like cost savings is something that is high priority, top priority, something uh, in in that capacity. We talk about the investments being made at IMS. That's also a very Roger thing, right? He's a a brick-and-mortar business owner person, right? Put money into the IndyCar series, great. You're not really going to see an increase in value of that property, you think of the speedway itself as an actual physical tangible thing you can understand roger's approach to hey why don't we make this better why don't we invest a couple million in that and why don't we tear that old thing down and put up something new all being done with a full expectation that the property value will raise and that money and lots more will be returned if and when it's ever sold so yeah, uh, just interesting times, Chris. <laughs> I'll leave it there. 
Uh, let's see. Eric Franklin say the discussions around automotive relevance, especially as it relates to electrification, raise a question for me. Given that the biggest drawback for most people, he says me included, is related to range anxiety uh, with EVs. Wouldn't it be more important for any car and their partners to work on setting challenges around truly extending the range of use? Show me you can go 500 miles on a single charge without stopping. Um, yeah, I... Here's a couple of, of general things that I know. Some of this comes from a conversation I had not so long ago with someone uh, involved uh, on the manufacturer side and on the electrification side. The value that a Chevy or a Honda or any other manufacturer would get from participating in IndyCar with this new hybrid formula coming in 2024 I don't know if it's going to be on extending range so much as it would be, hey, batteries, whatever form of motor generator units, uh, the software involved. How do we make these things lighter, smaller, faster, higher performing, more efficient? Would say extending range extending whatever, <laughs> uh, faster charging, uh, faster deployment, faster, smaller, quicker, smarter, more efficient. Those are the things that you get from manufacturers in their reasonings for going motor racing in whatever capacity. We, hey, we make tires, we make transmissions, we make wheel bearings, whatever it's there's i don't know if there's a much difference really between the the goals and the potentials in going hybrid uh from a harvesting of technology and improving standpoint uh than it would be for for much else on the car uh, so i would say although that doesn't address your specific question about why wouldn't they focus on just extending range and dealing with range anxiety this is more a, a case of using engineers from the road car side to be involved tech transfers there they're coming to chevy honda and whomever else from the road car side having some of them embedded with what they do in indycar to bring some of that information back um this is how stuff tends to work does that result however much time down the road in being able to extend range or whatever else I'd have to believe there'll be something, right? Maybe something specific to the item that you raise, but also, yeah, the knowledge gained, making ourselves bat better, making ourselves more competitive in the production vehicle marketplace. It's always the reason why manufacturers opt into something like this. It's not always easy to get them to fully spell out what they actually receive once they're in, right? tend not to try and give up or give away the things that they've picked up and learned to make their trucks and sedans and whatever else better. But you also find, and this is just a bit of a practical thing to close, Eric, they get in because they believe they're going to learn things that are going to make themselves better. And again, all the range of improvements that I mentioned uh, by participating in a competitive series with whatever technologies that they're really interested in learning about more or, or developing their engineers, 
road car engineers, getting that, that culture of competitive improvements, uh, race to race, track to track, and having those engineers go back and take what they've learned, new ideas, new processes, and introduce those into what they do with their uh, production vehicles. That's, again, always the, the basis for coming in when we're talking about relevance and whatnot. Um, but then you also see if they do this for a little bit and find that, you know what, we're not getting much. Uh, they often get out. So I'm not saying Chevy or Honda or whomever else will, but am saying the proof that they're getting value from this comes from how long they stay. And I expect both manufacturers to remain involved for a good long while. I also think as we get probably at least two years into this new hybrid formula, I wouldn't be surprised if by year three, you start getting both pushing IndyCar for some new freedoms, whether it's on the hardware side, software side, whatever. I think naturally they're going to say, you know what? We want to keep learning from this, but we need you to give us some new areas for us to play. Here's a couple recommendations where this would indeed give greater gains in uh, making our hybrids and or our EVs even better by you letting us uh, have a little bit more fun. Uh, let's go to Greg Marie. How you doing, Greg? MP, uh, you say, great job on letting us know the twists and turns of who is going to end up where over the past season. You're more than kind. It was quite a ride, he says. I'd like to resubmit a question on the level of technology in the IndyCar shock packages. He says, a major open technology area is this spec class racing. Uh, in this spec class racing, what is available for various teams to set themselves apart? Suppliers, uh, internal damper designs shock travel ratios, spring and shock body materials, electronic controls. Uh, so it's basically wide open. Uh, you have teams who manufacture a lot. You have teams that manufacture pretty much everything. Uh, I'm trying to think of the stuff that is a little more off the shelf. Now, granted, it's not uncommon for teams to use a, uh, quote, off-the-shelf sh body, right, shock body. The inerter uh, that is used by all teams, that is a pretty much a, a off-the-shelf thing that everybody uses. But there's not much else internally that they're prevented from doing other than electronic ride control. So if you happen to own a road vehicle that has super whizzy electronic shocks, that's an area that they have locked down and kept locked down for a super long time. Fear of cost just going crazy, crazy. So that's where they've said no, and so that's why, uh, why teams uh, probably wish they could but do uh, limit themselves to playing with uh, basically everything else you could imagine with the dampers. Um, you ask about any shock technology crossover from F1. The inerters are the big item uh, for sure. That is something that came directly from F1. Uh, what, late, mid to late 2000s, if I recall. Um, talking about costs and uh you say the development 
of dampers a major engineering expense? Oh, yes. This is the, the one main area of an Indy car that teams can more or less freely manipulate and develop that affects the vehicle's handling. Tires obviously have a huge effect of how the car performs other than the amount of inflation of those tires, uh, how much nitrogen is put in them, and then the suspension settings of how the tires are tilted or pointed at the road and do a variety of things. The tires themselves are things that the teams are absolutely barred from monkeying with applying surface treatment goo or whatever else tires are a thing that they don't touch uh, they just interact with and do their best to get the best performance out of dampers that's the big area of how they change ride characteristics how the car puts down power how the car brakes how the car turns how the car behaves in a way that suits the driver's needs for first going quickly, the balance of the car to make that driver happy. Some drivers, I mean, there's three states a car is in at any one time. Uh, sometimes they all three happen in rapid succession and kind of go in circles. You either have a car that's neutral, you either car either have a car that understeers, or you have a car that oversteers. Um, depending on what a driver wants, and they all have different desires of how the car behaves with neutrality, touch of understeer, touch of oversteer. These are things that all manner of suspension settings will affect. Obviously, tires will affect. Really, the refinement of how the car behaves Accelerating, stopping, turning, uh, those are things that are going to be tuned most readily with the dampers. Uh, last little component here, it's not dampers obviously, but that would be within the transmissions, the differentials. Uh, it's another area where differential settings can have a vast, vast influence on how the car performs and behaves uh, excel while accelerating, while turning, while braking, on throttle, off throttle. Uh, it's another big area. Um, but yeah, because it is such an important, important thing, that's why teams spend so much time and money trying to not only come up with the best, highest performing solution, but those solutions that do the most for their drivers. So yeah, if if you were a runner, if you were a sprinter, uh, if you were whatever, your legs and running and speed was the thing that you used to compete and win, and you had the ability to adjust your legs, to tune your calves, to manipulate your hamstrings, and so on and so forth, to make them perform better then the next person, whether it's sprinting in a straight line or going around a turn or whatnot, you would spend all day every day, again, if you had the ability to tune your legs, your feet, and make them do things that are better than the next person's, 
you do that all day long. This is effectively what we're talking about here. The dampers are the things that really do give teams the ability to make their vehicles either do exceptional things or if they get it wrong, uh, have really bad days. Uh, let's see. JJ Gertler, you say in your video preview of Laguna Seca, you mentioned that people were offering prayers for a prominent crew member. Can you add more to that and uh, whether things turned out all right? Uh, indeed, that was a, a good pal who happens to work for the Chip Ganassi racing team. Um, was texting with him that afternoon, Sunday of the race day, and back in the hotel, resting and doing okay, and then drove from Monterey up to San Francisco that night and flew home. So, yeah, um, things have turned out well. So thanks for asking, JJ. Um, Suki Matsura, you were asking if Renus VK is finally going to have a breakout season in 2023. You say Joseph Newgarden broke out in his fourth year in IndyCar. Scored multiple wins on his way to finish seventh in the standings back in 2015. You say next season will be VK's fourth year. Feels like he hasn't showed us his maximum potential yet. I tend to agree with that, Mitsuki. Consistency has been Ed Carpenter Racing's nemesis for a little while now. And this past season, we definitely saw that rear its head again. They had weekends where both Connor Daly and Renus were super quick and raced right next to each other. They had other races where both drivers were just totally out to lunch. And they had some weekends where Connor had a great one and Renus did not, and vice versa. All over the map. Obviously not what they wanted, not what fans of the team would want, but I can tell you that by not too far into last season, I had an expectation for the team to show up each weekend and for at least hashtag me personally to have no clue how they would perform. Uh, great, poor, mid, middle of the road, no clue. And that's more or less how the, the season seemed to go. That's not uncommon. A lot of teams that have the same thing happen. But if we look at the ones who are contending for championships or just really good championship outcomes each year that's not their story the spin the wheel of how we're going to perform this weekend so is there more within renus absolutely kid is super talented also been in a bit of a tough environment where coming back to that not sure how the team's going to perform from one weekend to the next yeah uh, some difficulties there that make it hard for a kid with clear talent to have the consistency that talent would need to really build from and rise. What, he finished 12th in the championship? I mean, if that isn't 8th next year, I think he and everyone else would be really disappointed. Granted, uh, they would want that to be first, of course, but he should be 
top six, seven, eight uh, each year without a doubt, at least from what I've seen, his potential. What changes will Ed Carpenter Racing make going into 2023 to make that possible for him and Connor Daly? Uh, I don't, granted, they two of them made some mistakes this year for sure. Areas they can clean up and improve for sure. This isn't a situation, though, Mitsuki, I'm looking at saying, ah, boy, uh, those two drivers need to get their act together. Um, I think the team has just been sitting there for a little while, not too far from where they are right now. And what's next? What's going to be different? Just showing up with the same everything and hoping for it to be better? That's not a strategy. That's a prayer. So, one of the off-season topics for sure that I will explore, reach out to Ed, reach out to their general manager, uh, Tim, and see what they might be uh, trying to concoct to make sure that Renus does indeed have a uh, super high-quality fourth year in the series. Take another quick sip here. You know, we're at about 40 minutes or so, and I am going to... Go for a couple more minutes and call it done. Yes, and I'm actually going to do it. Jim Barnett, you got a great question about how a team recovers from a disappointing season. Why don't you send that one back in, if you don't mind, or, or Jerry, if you're uh, listening, why don't you uh, flag Jim's question uh, to throw back in for next week. Uh, John Bailey, you're asking if Indy Lights is doomed. Uh, it's not, but we're going to see what happens coming into next season and through next season because I think the feedback uh, Penske Entertainment's going to get is uh, what I've written about, what we've spoken about a little bit of we've got incentives and all the other steps of the uh, road to Indy presented by Cooper Tires, not owned, not controlled by Penske Entertainment. Once those kids work up that ladder and get those advancement prices and get to Indy Lights, uh, you kind of leave them hanging for the most part. I think with a large and more powerful grid to bring their concerns and complaints to Penske Entertainment, I think I have to hope that that is going to lead to change. And I do indeed hope that we're going to be reading sometime very soon that I'd love to read that they're going to try and fix things for Linus and get him all he should have. But regardless of that, would hope to be reading sometime soon a, hey, you know what? Uh, The 2023 Indy Lights champion is going to get, and it's a whole bunch of really good and big and important things. Um, If they don't do that, I will put a lot of money on a bet that says after 2023, or we do expect to see mid to high teens, in uh for entries full season entries for indy lights biggest we will have seen since like 2008 9 7 something like that that number will come back down for sure um this is a marketing and promotions failure uh almost as much as as it is a failure to support uh penske entertainment's first indy lights gym this sends such a terrible message that i don't know uh I don't know if this is going to be something that can be 
uh, resuscitated because yes, if the message is the thing we, we, and I realize it hasn't been Penske entertainment, but the thing we, since we've taken control of Indy lights, we as Indy lights have told to the world for a long time now that if you come here and you do your best and win, we're going to really truly help to launch your IndyCar career. If that's something that Penske entertainment wants to take off the board and continue keeping that off the board. Oh boy. You talk about undoing a lot of years of amazing marketing and promotions of the reason to send your son, daughter, or non-binary child to America for Indie Lights. So, uh, yeah, uh, fingers, toes, and lots of other things crossed. Um, Dan Rice. Say, with IMSA dropping mid-Ohio, surprised to see IndyCar stay. Was this due to the lack of a viable alternative, uh, history at the track, or just plain old inertia that seems to shade a lot of IndyCar discussion, uh, a lot of IndyCar discussion right now? Um, IMSA decided that it had something better to do, uh, a, a better alternative, and I know that they grew tired of the track's kind of old-timey, looking a little worn-out-ness, um, lack of what they felt was was up-to-par corporate hospitality opportunities and so on. I'm not saying that IndyCar would look at it and say much different. I would suggest, though, Dan, that this really and truly is a old, long, old relationship with IndyCar and that track. Also take into account that on the IndyCar calendar, four, just slightly less than 25% of the events uh, run this season and next season and whatever uh, are put on by the same promoter, Green Savory Race Promotions. So the folks who bring you St. Pete, the folks who bring you Toronto and Portland also bring you Mid-Ohio. So knowing that Mid-Ohio, I think, is really the, the one... I always forget how to put this. I don't recall if they own it or the largest investor, whatever it is, but this is truly their track. Um, it'd be hard for IndyCar, knowing that they are so heavily tied to Green Savory Race Promotions, to say, by the way, uh, we're not going to go to the main one in the Midwest that has a huge history to it and really, really big following. I mean, the crowds are always amazing. Uh, not as big as they once were, but the crowds are pretty amazing. And some of its shortcomings, I think, are more easily and readily overlooked in light of the greater relationship held with them. If this was the only event that they promoted on the calendar, I think that might be an area for IndyCar to say, hey, yeah, let's do some investments to modernize some things to bring this up to what we expect and find at pretty much everywhere else we go. But since that's not the case, uh, we still have Mid-Ohio. And I'm thankful for it. I mean, I don't ever want us to go away from Mid-Ohio. I know some folks have asked, well, dude, it seems like you're always criticizing them. No, I'm not criticizing. I'm just telling you the truth. Um, but, yeah, I wouldn't want to go away from there. And, you know, another little thing just to close here. It's been this way for a while. It's nothing new. It's just as each year goes on, it stands out more and more. It's been old and worn out for a long time. Uh, I 
more often than not choose to look at it as charm. Uh, but some others, IMSA specifically, uh, I guess stopped being able to find that, uh, that glass half full approach and decided, uh, it's time to say farewell. Uh, y'all thank you for everything you sent in. Thank you to everybody for everything. Jerry, for putting the questions together, y'all for the questions that, uh, we got to and Cooper tires and the justice brothers and torontomotorsports.com. Thanks to y'all as well for supporting what we do. Uh, I think I'm going to interview guy who's going to be testing an IndyCar for the first time here next week. That would also be your new in the final IMSA DPI champ, that being Tom Blomkvist. So going to have him on the phone here shortly. And yeah, going to maybe try and get one other podcast out this week. So thanks again for listening, y'all. Be back to you here soon.